So I, I just started writing just everything I could think of that is overwhelming in my notes. I, I put everything from sex scandals to mass shootings, to earthquakes, to terrorism, to immoral politicians, to the holidays, to failing marriages, the single life, raising children, student loans, Los Angeles, and I was even just frustrated with the cost of milk in the city. Is anybody else trying to dry, buy a $10 gallon of milk in this stinking city, right? Lactose intolerance. So I, I was just, there was just so much overwhelming, and I just stopped the list halfway there. Like, I don't, we don't have to do a show of hands right now. I'll just do it for myself, but I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if you guys are overwhelmed. This is just overwhelming. There's just too much. It's impossible, really. Even the relationships in this church at times, the church itself can fall into this sort of vein. It can just be drama at times. It's overwhelming, daunting. Even as Christians, we sit in these sort of circumstances and we know what the Bible says, we know what the gospel says, and we know that lives can be changed in an instant. Everything we're seeing in the news, lives can be changed in an instant. But many of us kind of fall into this trap of wondering if our part in any of it is actually doing anything. I don't know if you've had that thought run across your mind. Like, what good can I do? What good is a prayer? What's the point of even going to a church gathering? God bless you guys are here. What difference can there be with all of this? Well, if I read the Bible correctly, especially tonight's verses, what I witness in God's interaction with mankind is that God is not shy from wanting us to feel the weight of the impossible. Actually, I believe that God ushers us to the impossible. I believe it's these overwhelming insights, which we'll see tonight, that makes us more human and makes him to us more God. See, the Holy Spirit places before us uh, the impossible, the overwhelming, wherever that may be to us, and asks, can it be done? Can it be done? Tonight, you are about to witness three dynamics in one of the most radical chapters in all of the Bible. You're going to witness three dynamics. God, a man, and the impossible. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. It should be on the screen behind me. I love this chapter. Giddy up, let's do it. Verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me, that being Ezekiel, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. Ezekiel is a prophet in Babylon. He is a man who speaks for God to the people. The nation of Israel was in exile into Babylon because they turned away from God. So God calls up Ezekiel and he basically tells him, and Ezekiel around this, he's like 25 to 30 around this time. So probably the majority of our age is in this room, okay? And so if you've read this book, if you've read this calling of Ezekiel, you know that the people in this book that Ezekiel's called to minister to are exceedingly sinful and thoroughly hopeless, it's an extremely long book about the depravity of man and the God who meets us there. Again, if you've read it, you know that this book is not for the faint of heart. But if you go towards the end of its chapters, you stumble across probably the most famous and rich of words, Ezekiel chapter 37. Friends, this is the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. You remember when Simba went to the elephant graveyard? Anybody? That's what I'm picturing, Okay. Shows you how my nine-year-old brain works. It's brimming with horrific imagery and foreshadow. 
It's a vision of an aftermath after a war, deadness and defeat littered throughout its plains. And in this valley, God by his spirit leads Ezekiel to walk around the cemetery of sorts. So they're just cruising between the bones. By Ezekiel walking, observing, notice what he says. He goes, no, these bones are very, very dry. They're, they're chalky. They're bleached. These are dry bones showing us that these bones, these people have been dead for a long while. A long while. They are dry. They are past the point of saving. And, and as insane as it is what Ezekiel's seen, what he's experiencing, nothing as, is as insane as what he is about to hear. So he's seen this and all of a sudden something more insane happens. Look at verse three. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? <clears throat> can these bones live? This has got to be the most ridiculous question of all time, right? This is ridiculous. It's gotta be rhetorical. It's so ridiculous. It's like asking, can Nickelback make good music? No. Will we ever find out how the dad dies and this is us? No, right? It's a resounding no. So of course not, God, these bones can't live, silly guy. But whatever Ezekiel thought, he was stunned by this mysterious question. Look how he responds at verse three. Put verse three up one more time. Yeah. And he answered, you know, the biggest cop-out there ever was in the history of the Bible, right? You know. Ezekiel's taken back by the idea of the impossible, and all he can do is assign it over to God. Pass. Like, that's all he can do. But even, the, even though the answer is the obvious no, God, no. Ezekiel has learned something that many of us probably easily forget. And that's to never presume on God, to never take for granted who he is, to never presume on the Holy Spirit's power and tensions. So if we can just confess for a moment, aren't we so good at presuming or taking God for granted? With making the claim, nope, impossible. With hard or challenging dilemmas that come across our way. Again, I know for me, from time to time, I fall in the bear trap of assuming things are too far gone, things are too hard, things are too much. And then I get up here on Sundays and I'm like, God can do the impossible. And then Mondays, I'm just like, God, you've abandoned me. <laughs> There's an Aesop fable about a fox. Um, if you've heard it, Bear with me, I'm going to butcher it. But there's an Aesop fable about a fox who is walking through the wilderness and he stumbles across, high in a branch, a cluster of grapes. And they're luscious and delicious and, and perfectly ripe and ready to be eaten. And so the fox begins to jump and he can't reach. And the fox begins to run and take a giant leap and the fox cannot reach. So the fox decided to call it quits and says, I didn't want them anyway. They're rotten grapes. They are sour grapes. You see, if we do start to believe in the impossible with God, that God can't, then like the fox, we start to believe who God isn't. Rotten and sour. It's choosing to believe a lie about God and then ultimately about ourselves. So just as a pastor and as a friend, 
I just wonder if there's anything within our body, within our church, within our community, where there might be somebody here who is presuming upon God, taking it for granted, forgetting who he is with our marriages, with the fact that maybe we aren't married yet, or with our children, too hard, or maybe the fact that we haven't had children yet, or with our careers, or the fact that we haven't had the career we've wanted yet, so on and so forth. Even thinking about for those here who are Christians, who think about family. We just saw so many families, right, this past Thursday. Crazy family members. Crazy friends. People are just like, I'm related to you. God, help me. We just saw all of them. And we look at them sometimes and just go, there's just no way they can come to know the reconciling ministry or the, uh, or the love of Jesus. It's too far. It's too much. It's impossible. So with all of that, I've I've just really come to love Ezekiel's answer. God, you know. God, only you know. God sees something beyond the dead. God sees something else in cemeteries. God sees something else in our pain. God sees something else in what we call impossible. God even sees something more in that giant list I rattled off earlier. So friends, Whatever happens now, what happens now in Ezekiel chapter, verse four, look at verse four. This should change the way we forever respond to the overwhelming or the impossible within our life. Here's what happens. The impossible in verse four to verse six invites the impossible. Read it with me, starting in verse four. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Impossible, inviting the impossible. There's this great moment, if you guys remember in Lord of the Rings, where Elrond, the Lord of Rivendell, and, and, and Gandalf are debating over strategy. If anybody remembers, they're talking about how does the mission move forward? How do we accomplish this? And they're going back and forth. And then Elrond says this, and I love this, but he's sort of freaking out. I'll just read it to you. He goes, we do not have the strength to stand against Mordor and Isengard both. The age of elders is over. My people are gone. They're leaving to the shores. Who will return to once we are gone? The dwarves hide in the mountains, seeking riches and care not for the troubles of others. And then Gandalf the Grey looks right at him, and he says some of the most shocking words in J.R.R. Tolkien's books. He says, we must place our hope in men. See, this is shocking within the story of the Lord of the Rings because man is the most unexpected, man is the most incapable, and man is the most desperate of races. An impossible situation invites in an impossible solution. Man must now, Ezekiel must now prophesy over these bones. Prophesy over these bones. We started off tonight asking if our part, if any of it is actually doing any good, if it's doing anything at all. What good can I or can we do? And here we have Ezekiel being asked to do what ultimately feels pointless, right? This feels pointless. This feels futile. Talk to bones. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Tell them that they're about to live. It's impossible. See, if you've been with us for the last five weeks or so, as we've been in our series in the Holy Spirit again, which tonight is the last, hopefully what you've come across each and every week, collective, is that the Spirit is here, that the Spirit was sent so that you may partake and join in in what God is actively doing. 
showing us between mankind and God, there is a parallel active dance between us and the spirit of God. We see that right away tonight as the Holy Spirit enraptures Ezekiel. That's what we read. Look look back at verse one. The hand of the Lord was upon him and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Why does the Holy Spirit do this? Why give this vision? It's part of the dance. It's part of that parallel. It's part of what we've been trying to look at every week through our Holy Spirit series. This is the joining in. So hear me closely. Why does the Holy Spirit do this for Ezekiel? The Holy Spirit enraptures Ezekiel in this time, in this moment, to, for him to see, for the Holy Spirit to show Ezekiel something, for Ezekiel to see as he sees. And what does the Holy Spirit see? What does God see? Spiritual desolation, a graveyard. So Ezekiel 37 isn't just a vision of what God sees, but this is a revelation of how you and I are to see. Ezekiel 37 isn't just a vision of what God wants to do, but this is a revelation of how God wants to do it. Look at verse five. Please. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. God wants us to see circumstances and people the way he sees them. Meaning all things, all people, all ambition must pass from death to life. That's how God wants us to see our our daily routines. That's how God wants to see our public transportation, right? That's how God wants to see our, our volleyball games or whatever could possibly be in our life. Like peering through a keyhole, Ezekiel gets only a glimpse of the Spirit's desire for a wasteland to come alive. So Ezekiel, so you and I, get this, can now start to see beyond the dead, to see something else in cemeteries, to see something else in our pain, to see something else that we, we call impossible. See, God is not satisfied with people in dryness or in defeat or to be destroyed. But God wants us to see, God wants his people to come alive spiritually, to come alive with purpose, to come alive with significant meaning, to come alive in joy, a joy that can never be taken away. Friends, this is what God wants. This is what Jesus accomplished. And this is what the spirit works in us. And Christians here, this is what God is offering you tonight. This is why God sent his son. Allow me to read a couple of scriptures just to make this point so clear. John chapter five. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. They come, in, they come into judgment, but pass from death to life. And this is why Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit. Romans eight, for if the spirit of him raised, excuse me, for the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies who lives in you. But then listen, as God sent Jesus and Jesus sent his spirit, the spirit now sends us. Sends us. So if you are a Christian or if you are part of the church or if you say you have the Holy Spirit, then we are to engage in the cause of death to life. We are to engage in the cause of seeing death to life just like Ezekiel, also known as the mission of God. This is primal Christianity collective church. British theologian says it like this. The primary purpose the spirit is given is for 
mission. But because mission can be kind of like a pretty churchy word, right? It can be pretty churchy. It can be pretty underdefined. What I'd like to do is just some level footing of what I'm talking about, what we're experiencing with Ezekiel. Just so we're kind of all on the same page. And I think theologian Chris Wright's definition of it, I think is probably one of the best. His book, The Mission of God, is primo. If you want to read it, it's thick, so it's up to you. But this is what he says. That's what he says. He goes, fundamentally, our mission, if it is biblically informed and validated, means our committed participation. I don't know why I said it like that. Our committed participation as God's people at God's invitation and command, and God's own mission within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. It's a bit chunky, right? This is what we're offering. When we offer mission membership as a church, what we're offering is accountability to that. We're offering accountability to that. Mission is an all-embracing term that refers to an entire task for which the church is the church. For Christ, by the Spirit. So we are to now see things differently, but then what is our actual world? What are we supposed to do about it? What can Ezekiel ultimately do or even offer? Look down at verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded. So I prophesied as I was commanded. His work in God's mission was faithfulness. And I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, and bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there was some news on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Ezekiel just does the outlandish, and he preaches, and he speaks up, and he opens up to piles and piles of bones. Like, this is insane, right? He must have felt ridiculous. He must have felt completely ridiculous, or, or, or pointless, or futile. Doing this and speaking, this must have been awkward. But as he's doing this, the only other thing he could hear, other than his own voice speaking, was off in the distance, a rattling. He started hearing a rattling and a a shaking, a clacking. And soon these bones started to come together. Different parts from here started to come together and join together creating, crawling to one another. And then flesh and tissue and muscle began to interlock and intertwine. And within moments, standing before Ezekiel was an entire fleshed out army. No more skeletons. A fleshed out army in this vision that Ezekiel's having. I mean, that's an incredible scene. Eat your heart out, Michael Bay. Transformers was crap. So this was an incredible scene, right? So this mighty army is standing before the Zeekster, but something was wrong. They're standing before him, but something was wrong. They're they're black-eyed and and lifeless and zombie-ish. Something is missing. Ezekiel's like, this isn't right. His disposition, what God was saying to him, this isn't right. What was missing? Well, it tells us, verse eight. And I looked... And behold, there was sinews on it, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But what? But, 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 but. There was no breath in them. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. This gets a little funky, right? Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great 
army. Why were they lifelike but lifeless? Why were they fleshly but not living? Breath. Breath. Ezekiel is faithfully declaring God's word over bones, now flesh. What they need is exactly what God's word promises. They need the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is where we do a little bit of text work. And I geek out on this type of stuff. If you don't want to hear it, cool, that's totally fine. But the key to understanding this entire chapter is what we're just about to go over and understanding why this idea of breath. You see, the Hebrew word for wind, breath, spirit, are the same Hebrew words saying, I'm going to, Brian, get my back in this, ruach, right? How was that? Not bad. I got the nod from the professor, okay? This word is commonly used in passages referring to the Holy Spirit. This word first appears in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Do you guys remember? The Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the water. Well, this Hebrew word is used 10 times, and that's these handful of verses that we just read. 10 times, this exact word. It's used around 400 times in the Old Testament alone. This multi-purpose word no doubt means the Holy Spirit. But this word also literally means wind. Like literally means wind. It also literally means breath. That type of stuff. So it both refers to the Holy Spirit and literal breath and literal wind. The kind of breath that if we didn't have, we would suffocate and die. But it's not by accident that the authors of Scripture use this interplay on words because it's God's power and presence in the person of the Holy Spirit who is to be seen like oxygen to a drowning man, like life to dry bones. So this entire episode of Ezekiel is oozing with various activities of this word. Human, natural, divine breath. Divine wind, divine spirit, with the single ultimate effect of life from utter darkness. So what is Ezekiel seeing? Yes, the army may be standing. They may be looking strong. They may be fully ready to go. Yes, this is before him. But they are dead spiritually. You know, they're, they're here, they're strong, and they look great. But they are dead spiritually. There's no breath in them. If you've read the Bible, this might remind you of Christ's words in Matthew chapter 23, where he says, woe to you, to a bunch of religious people, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus isn't afraid at all. For you are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. The Bible shows us just because one is attending church does not mean they have spiritual life. The Bible shows us just because somebody is super down with Jesus and likes the Passion of the Christ movie or whatever it is, does not mean they're spiritually alive. The Bible shows us just because you read it, just because you may say a prayer here and there, just because you serve, does not mean that you have spiritual life. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is evident of life. And this truth transcends just the nation of Israel. Look at verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Many commentators will try to say this entire passage of scripture is just about Israel. Nah. No, that's like saying Titanic, the movie was just about a ship sinking. No, it's about an incredible love story. Okay. Between two people, Jack and Rose. 
This text is a vision for us all. This text is a vision for us all. It's not just about Israel that was in exile. This is about all of mankind who was in exile from God, needing to return. In ancient times, to be deprived of a proper burial, which all of these bones were, was an ultimate dishonor. It was a destiny fit only for truly the accursed or those who were cut off. So to be cut off means that we are cut off from the Garden of Eden. We are cut off from God's presence. We are accursed. To cut off means because mankind then and still chooses graves over God, chooses these things that will bleed us dry rather than spring forth life. This is what the Bible calls sin. Thus, these lifeless bones and bodies, they're not just evidences of death, but death under the curse of sin. You see, in the modern day, I, us right now, 2017, Angelinos, millennials for most part of us here, we don't think of sin as a curse. No, sin is a, it's a mistake. That's a mistake we made. It's a poor choice. It's a flaw. It's a vice. No, God calls it a curse in need of a remedy. It's an important chapter for us to know. This is a text for all of us. Chris Wright, again, speaking on Ezekiel 37, says, what the Holy Spirit was about to do for Israel would be the first act in the renewal of humanity as a whole. This is a visionary archetype. These bones represent the fallenness and curse of all humanity and of you and I. If you're not a Christian here, this is where I offend you. This is where I offend you, this part right here. That you fallen under a curse and are a sinner in need of a savior. But as this image from Ezekiel chapter 37 is offensive talking about our brokenness, our death, it also prefigures a resurrection. If you're an unchristian here, this is where I share with you the remedy. Look at verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I'll place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and I've spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Jump down to verse 26 if you have Bibles. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their land and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel as my sanctuary is in the midst forevermore. Friends, this is gospel truth. This is good news. The focus on this tremendous resurrection power that we're seeing with Ezekiel and the dead bodies also wants us to now focus on and cause our attention to go on Jesus's dead body. Jesus Christ coming from death to life is the fulfillment of this vision. The renewal of all things in your and my life starts with Jesus. If you're sick of this, we're over this, we're defeated this, we're dry here, destruction here, the renewal of all that starts with Jesus. This is the good news that Ezekiel was faithfully bringing to dead bones. This is the good news, Christians, that has saved us if you are a Christian here. And this is the good news that the Spirit wants us to bring to other dead bones within our life. Like Ezekiel did. I mean, this is our continual call, Christians. This is our continual call, the mission of God. This is our continual call. I love this Nowen quote. Who's, he's a prolific author and minister. He says it perfectly, in my opinion. 
He goes, I now see that the hands that forgave, console, heal, and offer a festive meal must become my own. So I say all of this tonight, we read all of this to inspire us like like Ezekiel to take risky steps of faith. Something we've been pushing hard all fall into now. Is it wintertime? Into now, whatever this is. To have life-oriented mission. Life-oriented wanting to see death to life in every little aspect of what we encounter. We should be wary asking for more of the Holy Spirit, which we've been doing for five weeks, if we're not ready, willing, or wanting to give more of ourselves. This is what the Holy Spirit will, as Minister John Mott reminds us. Actually, I'm going to read this. He says, the Holy Spirit is the great missioner. So this is what the Holy Spirit will continually be shaping us into, shaping us for. Please don't think that we spent the last five weeks dissecting topics like power, presence, gifts, holiness, adoption by the Spirit, just so that we can get together and have some sort of spiritual, inclusive ecstasy for like some sort of treehouse spiritual club. This theologian reinforces my point. He says, God did not pour out a spirit for us to exalt in a private benefit. His power, his presence in making us God's sons and daughters who pursue holiness so that we can faithfully be a part of the renewal of all things. The Holy Spirit and mission, as we defined it earlier, as we defined it, are inseparable. Are inseparable. We have a great commission, but we also have a great companion. See, I don't know about any of you, but I am beyond exhausted in wanting. I'm beyond exhausted in wanting. I don't know if you guys are the same way in thinking that would be nice. That, you know, one day, once the, once the kids are out of the house, I'm gonna get serious about X, Y, and Z for the mission of God. Exhausted of wanting. I love G.K. Chesterton's, Chesterton's quote, which totally fits here. He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, has been found difficult and left untried. So your pastors invite you to envision a church where mission is not task-oriented, but life-oriented. There's this misalignment with mission that the Bible talks about, where we think it's just these tasks we do here and there, rather than an all-of-life engulfing. Where men and women are more concerned with dry bones rather than disapproval or rejection. Where the mission is not left in wanting, but we be to be to, 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 to seek to be faithful, even when it feels pointless or futile. A group of men doing what it takes, even though it's difficult. See again, if we think about the mission of God as we defined it. Let's be honest, if we are fearful of reaching out, which is being a part of God's mission, if we are fearful of giving to the church, which is part of God's mission, if we are fearful of volunteering and doing something like that, which is part of God's mission, if we're complacent and unsure about about getting involved in the discipleship group, which is part of God's mission to make disciples, if we are timid in preaching and speaking boldly to dead men and women within our lives, could it be because we look at ourselves and wonder if our part in it has anything to do, if there's anything good to come of it, we think about what, you know, like we asked earlier, what good can I do? What can, good can a prayer do? 
What difference can there be with all of this? And we're more consumed, excuse me, consumed with seeing all of this, what we might need to do in our own strength, with our own grit, with our own ability, with our own personality, rather than expecting this mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit to come flowing in. Christians, God was not satisfied with our dry bones. If you're a Christian here, God was not satisfied with your dry bones. If we look back and we think about the person who told us about the love of Jesus, that told us about faith within our lives, and he risked or she risked disapproval or displeasure. And like Ezekiel, they told us where we could find life. Knowing what we know now, we would have begged for them to come sooner within our life, right? One of the greatest motivations, I believe, to be a part of the mission of God, to be a part of the church, which is part of the mission of God, is to see and to remember, to understand what has been done for us. Because we have received that ruach, that breath, that wind in the boneyard of our own existence. Look at verse nine again, and I'm gonna wrap it up with this. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. These four winds. It means that the Spirit of God is at work everywhere in the world in all directions. That's what that means. Revealing to us that the same power in this vision, the same Spirit that brought Christ back from the dead, is now at work in every pocket or every corner of mankind. Cool. That sounds really big and it sounds really broad. Let me apply a little applicable pinch to it. Okay, the Holy Spirit is at work right now in your relationships. The Holy Spirit is at work right now in your circumstances. The Holy Spirit is doing work right now in our obstacles every day. So what that means is the Holy Spirit's plan for you reaching your neighbor. I messed that up. I'm gonna say it this way. I wanna say it this way. The Holy Spirit's plan to reach your neighbor involves you, not me. Not Lorenzo, not Ryan, not Kyle. The Holy Spirit's plan for you to reach your family, to minister to your family, includes you. The Holy Spirit's plan for your coworkers to experience the unchanging love of God is through you. Man, how's, how's Billy gonna get saved? Will you work with Billy? Yeah, you, dude. The Holy Spirit's plan for this church to be more hospitable and a welcoming place involves you and me. The only thing that is undetermined is your response. So Collective Church, as a friend and as a pastor, I would just highly challenge and charge you to remember this vision now and always, which reminds all of us that from the impossible, there can be renewal. The Holy Spirit is asking each and every one of us right now with every challenge, with every opportunity, with every moment, can these bones live? Can it be done? Let's pray.